What a grill you have. You are now tuned in to the caucus rays. You just sat back and ready to play. Let me take your thoughts far, far away. Now let's hear what Darth Vader has to say. We would be honored if you would join us. What's happening, Far, Far Away fans? This is your host, Kyle, and you are now tuned in to the ultimate audio experience, Star Wars Audio Archives. So how are things on your end of the galaxy? I hope you are ready to embark on an adventure that will leave a lasting impression, because I have a thrilling episode in store for you. Get ready to soar through the Old Republic and be wowed. This episode is set to be a roller coaster ride filled with heart-pounding action, breathtaking excitement, and a touch of humor to keep things light. So fasten your seatbelt and let's embark on a thrilling journey through the Star Wars universe. Are you ready to blast off on this adventure? Then let's do this. Zira drove the Omen Spear low, hugging the urbanscape until he reached a bombed-out apartment building. There was nothing particularly notable about it. They just seemed a decent place to hole up. The facade had fallen away from the building's upper levels, exposing the interior flats and rooms. It looked as if the Empire had peeled the rind off the building to expose its guts. Zerid supposed the Empire had done just that to all of Coruscant. They had vivisected the Republic. The rubbled facade of the building lay in a heap of glass and stone at the building's base. A pile of ruin intermixed with furniture, shattered vid screens, and other indicia of habitation. The interior remained largely intact, though the dust of pulverized stone coated everything. Shards of shattered glass like fangs hung from windows. A few live wires spat sparks. Water leaked from somewhere, formed a minor cascade pouring down from one of the upper floors. Not a single light glowed in the entire building. It appeared abandoned. This should serve, he said to Aaron and T7. He piloted the speeder around and through the rubble until he had it near one of the exposed lower apartments. Serve for what? Aaron asked. And T7 echoed her question with a beep. I'm going to scout the spaceport. You both are going to stay here. Aaron shook her head. No, I should come. I work better alone, Aaron. At least when it comes to surveillance. Take some time. I don't need time. I need to get to that cruiser. And this is the best way to do that. So take some time to eat and pull yourself together. He winced as he said that last, thinking she'd take offense. But it appeared barely to register. I'll be back as soon as I can. He tossed her another of the protein bars he'd taken from the speeder's console compartment. Zerid, she said. Please, Aaron. I'm just eyeballing it. I won't do anything without you. She relented with a sigh and climbed out of the speeder. She unclamped T7 and lowered him to the ground. I'll return as soon as I can, Zirid said. Keep an eye on her, T7. The droid whooped agreement, and Zirid sped off. Avoiding the search-and-rescue teams working in the still-smoldering ruins, Zirid made his way toward the Quadrant's port, the Liston spaceport. He could see it in the distance, framed against the night sky. The curved appendages of its large craft landing pads raised skyward like the hopeful arms of a penitent. It appeared undamaged by the attack, at least from a distance. As he watched, 
The roof doors to one of the many small craft landing bays opened in the main body of the port, a mouth spitting light into the dark air. He killed the speeder's thrusters and pulled to the side. In the sky above the port, the running lights of three Imperial shuttles came into view as they descended into the port. The mouth of the doors swallowed them, closed, and killed the light once more. At least he knew there were ships there. Zirid stayed where he was, and for a time watched to see if there was more traffic. He saw none. In normal times, even a small spaceport like the Liston would have been buzzing with activity. He fired the speeder back up and drove on, wanting to get a closer look. The area around the port to a distance of several kilometers had been hit hard by Imperial bombs. Burned-out buildings tilted like drunks on their foundations. Jagged, charred holes pockmarked the ground. Autowalks hung askew, forming a mad web of walking paths that led nowhere. Live wires spat angry sparks. Chunks of duracrete lay here and there, haphazardly strewn about by the force of the bombs. He drove slowly, without lights, avoiding the hazards. He saw no one in the area, no movement at all. It felt like a ghost town. The stink of char hung in the air. So too, the faint, sickly sweet stink of organic decay. The ruins were the tombs of thousands. He tried to put it out of his mind, hoping that many had been able to flee into the lower levels before the bombing began in earnest. He saw an unattended multi-story parking structure. Half of it lay in ruins. The other half looked stable enough, and it was only a few blocks from the port. He drove the speeder into the lower level and parked it there. He'd cover the rest of the way on foot. He wanted to eyeball the port unseen, and could do that best without a vehicle. Republic Flight School had taught him ground evasion, to prepare him should his ship ever go down in enemy-held territory. And he put his skills to use. As unobtrusively as a shadow, he moved among the stone rubble and steel beams and abandoned vehicles, keeping under cover as much as possible to avoid being seen from the air. He knew the Empire sometimes used airborne surveillance droids. Ahead, a ten-story hotel, the Nebula, stuck out of the smoking, rubbled urbanscape. Unlike most everything else around it, it looked mostly intact except for a few shattered windows on the lower floors. Zirid saw no lights in any of the rooms, so he assumed it had no power and was unoccupied. He dashed across the street to the hotel, pried open the doors, and entered the lobby. No welcoming droids, known at the concierge desk. Deep darkness. Hello? He shouted. Anyone here? No response. With the power out, he ignored the lifts and headed for the stairs. He was mildly winded by the time he reached the roof access door. He kicked it open, blaster in hand. Nothing. He ducked low and headed for the edge of the roof. From there, he had a good view of the spaceport. He pulled out the macro binoculars he had taken from the Armin speeder and glassed the port. The control spire was a dark spike of transparisteel, obviously unoccupied. All the entrances appeared locked down except one, and a dozen Imperial soldiers in full gray battle armor guarded it. Zirid imagined there were more Imperial troops within the complex itself. It seemed the Empire had shut down all of the port, save for a few of the small craft landing pads, 
probably to give the already stretched troops less ground to secure. Large transparisteel windows in the wall opened up on the near pads. Through them, he saw the three Imperial shuttles that had just landed. All of them had a numerical designation written above the word Valor, the name of Darth Malgus's cruiser. Looks like you'll get your wish, Aaron, he muttered. He saw another ship there, too. A modified Imperial dropship, Dragonfly class. He rolled a dial on the macrobinoculars to magnify the image. No Imperial markings, and the landing ramp was up, as if it were ready to launch. A couple of dozen workers and dungarees went about the business of operating the port, as did half a dozen or so droids wheeling among the ships, fuel lines, loading cranes, and comp terminals. A flash of lavender filled the binoculars' field of vision, and he backed out of the high modification. A twillick female had walked in front of the window and temporarily filled the lenses with her lavender skin. Lavender skin... He watched as the Twi'lek and a squad of uniformed Imperial soldiers and half-armor put six-hooded and manacled sentients into one of the shuttles. Zirid tried to keep the binoculars on the Twi'lek, who appeared to be giving orders to the troops, but it necessitated hopping the binoculars from window to window as she moved, and he sometimes lost her. Like the Twi'lek in the vid at the Jedi Temple, she wore twin blasters on her hips. She also wore the tight-fitting trousers and high boots, has to be her, he said, but he wanted to confirm. So he waited and watched, and at last she turned her face to the window, and he saw it, the jagged scar on her throat. Gotcha, he said. The Twi'lek spoke into her comlink, and the shuttle with the civvies started to wind up. As it rose on its thrusters, the roof doors of the pad slid open, once more spilling light into the night sky. When the shuttle broke the roof line, it engaged its engines and took off, presumably heading back to Valor. The doors closed behind it. The Twi'lek and about a dozen troops remained on the pad. Workers, too, and droids. Zerid watched a team of workers, and the treaded box of a maintenance droid start refueling one of the shuttles from a thick hose connected to an underground tank. Seeing that, Zerid struck on a plan. He pocketed the binoculars and hurried back out of the hotel to the speeder and back to Aaron. The shuttle flew a silent vigil over the ruins of the Jedi Temple. Malgus's pilot's voice carried over the intership comm. Boredom tinged his tone. Shall I remain here, my lord? You will remain until I say otherwise. Internal and external lights are to remain off. As you wish, my lord. Malgus's shuttle hovered over the ruins of the Jedi Temple at about 300 meters. From that height, the temple was little more than a tumble of stones in the starlight. He'd lingered over the ruins for hours as day had faded to night. And still, Aaron Lanier had not shown. But she would come. He knew she would. Aaron unwrapped and ate the protein bar Zirid had given her. She and T7 had sheltered in one of the apartments. She sat on a dusty couch, the stink of a burning planet in her nostrils. She replayed in her mind Master Zalo's death, the look on his face. She saw once more the ruins of the temple, and she knew that his body lay beneath the mountain of rubble. 
fighting the rising tide of grief, she adopted a meditative posture, closed her eyes, and tried to drift into the force. Still heart, still mind, she intoned, but both proved impossible. Eventually, she sat back on the couch and stared up at the sky. The omniprescent smoke looked like black clouds against the stars. Now and again, she saw a ship's lights in the distance and presumed them to belong to an Imperial patrol craft. In time, her emotional and physical exhaustion chased her down and she drifted off to sleep. She dreamed of Master Zalo. He stood before her on the ruins of the Jedi Temple, his robes billowing in the breeze. The cracked stone face of Odon Ur watched them. Master Zalo's mouth moved, but no sound emerged. He seemed to be trying to tell her something. I cannot hear you, Master, she said. What are you saying? She tried to get closer to him, picking her way through the debris. But the closer she tried to get, the farther he moved away. Finally, her frustration got the better of her, and she screamed. I don't know what you want me to do! She woke, heart-pounding, and found T-7 standing before her. He whistled a question. No, I'm fine, she said. But she wasn't. She stood and pulled her cloak tight about her. She checked her chrono. Zirid had been gone for over an hour. He would probably be gone another hour at least. Her dream had left her shaken. She took the hilt of Master Zalo's lightsaber in her hands, turned it over, studied its craftsmanship. Its design mirrored his personality. Solid, without flourish, but wonderful in its plainness. She wanted to return to the temple, to the scene where murder had occurred. She should have made Zirid set down the speeder when they'd been over it earlier. She wanted to walk among the ruins and commune with the dead. She hooked Master Zalo's weapon to her belt. I have to go somewhere, T7. I'll be back soon. He whistled another question. Alarm in the beeps. Tell him I'll be back. There's nothing to worry about. She left the ruined apartment building and headed back toward the Jedi Temple. There was something there for her. There had to be. When Zirid returned to their safe house in the ruined apartment building, he found Aaron gone. Her absence put a lump in his throat. T7 whistled to him from one of the apartments. Where is she, T7? He asked. The small droid chattered, whistled, and beeped so fast that Zirid could scarcely follow. In the end, he gathered that Aaron had left the apartment after a short rest, and that she did not tell T7 where she was going. But Zirid knew where she would go. She'd go where Master Zalo died. Let's go, T7, he said, and loaded the droid up onto the speeder. Aaron's emotions roiled, her mood as dark as the night. Ordinarily, the artificial lights of hundreds of thousands of businesses and advertisements lit Coruscant's night sky but the attack had knocked the power out over huge swaths of the planet, and the dark silence made the city feel like a mausoleum. Aaron picked her way through the black darkness 
and approached the temple along the wide, stone-paved processional that once had led to the temple's grand main entrance. Malgus must have used the same approach, she realized, and it appalled her that the last person to walk the processional before the temple's fall had been a Sith. She found it obscene. She fancied she was retracing his footsteps, her boots effacing the wrongness of his passage. She slowed, stealing herself, as the rubbled structure materialized out of the darkness before her. The attack had turned the temple's once curved lines and elegant spires into a shapeless mound of ruin, a burial cairn for the Jedi Order. The sight of it scratched the scab from the wound of her grief. As she approached, the ghost of her past rose out of the ruin. Her time in the temple as a youngling, as a Padawan, the ceremony when she'd been promoted to Jedi Knight. The temple had been her home for decades, and her father had been murdered in it. In her mind's eye, she saw the final blow that had slain her master, as clear as if she were once more watching the vid in the temple surveillance room. She saw Malgus spin, reverse his grip, and drive his lightsaber through Master Zalo. And once more, she saw the look in Master Zalo's face as the light went out of his eyes. The despair there. He had failed and he had known it. Maybe he had also known, as Aaron now did, that the Jedi Order had failed too. The thought of her master dying with despair in his heart drove a hot spike of rage through the sore of her loss. And yet, she could not shake the look she had seen in his eyes in her dream. It had looked like concern. A warning, maybe. He had wanted to tell her something. She shook her head. It had been but a dream, not a vision. Just a projection of her own subconscious. She dismissed it. She would find Malgus, and she would kill him. She reached the edge of the ruins, climbed the jagged chunks of stone. They still felt warm, still radiated the heat of their own destruction. She walked among them, the graves of dozens of Jedi, and wept through her anger. A feeling seized her as the strings of her Force sensitivity vibrated with a discordant note. The feeling took her by the shoulders, shook her, and emptied her of grief, leaving only anger. She knew the feeling's origin. She activated her lightsaber and tried to pinpoint Malgus's location. Malgus felt the signature of another Force user, the uncomfortable pressure of the light side, and it pulled him to his feet. The pressure reminded him of how he'd felt in the presence of Master Zalo, and he knew that Aaron Lanier had come at last. Take the shuttle down to fifty meters, he said, adrenaline already coursing through his body. And when I exit, you may leave. When you exit, my lord? Malgus did not respond. Instead, he overrode the in-flight safeties and pushed the button to open the side hatch. As the door slid open, as the night air poured in, redolent with the stink of a ruined temple and a burned planet, he let anger fill him. The ship descended to 50 meters. Below, the ruined temple was dark, covered in the velvet of night. But he perceived the presence of Aaron Lanier as clearly as he would have under a noon sun. 
He stepped to the doorway, drew on the force, activated his lightsaber, and leapt out into the dark. A roar, heavy with hate and rage, pulled Eren's eyes skyward. Malgus descended like a meteor. His cape flew out behind and over him, a comma of darkness, and he held his lightsaber in a two-handed grip. Power went before him in a wave of visible distortion. The shuttle out of which he had leapt flew off into the night sky. Aaron fell fully into the force, raised her defenses, took a fighting stance, and parried Malgus's two-handed overhand slash. Still, he landed in a cocoon of power, hitting the ground in an explosion of might that shattered the stones around them and turned them into a hail of shrapnel. Unflinching, Aaron deflected them with the force as she parried another slash for Malgus. The force of the Sith's blow made her arms quiver, but she gave no ground. Blades locked, sparking, their eyes met. Malgus's dark eyes burned with a rage that knifed through her. The anger he radiated was tangible to Eren. made the air feel greasy, polluted. But she felt something else in it. Something unexpected. An odd ambivalence. I know why you have come, he said, his voice a hiss from behind his respirator. She forced words between gritted teeth. You killed Master Zalo. And now I will kill you, too. In the same place I killed him. He leaned into his blade, pushed her back a step, and unleashed a force-augmented kick at her ribs. But she was the quicker, and a flip sent her over his head and fifty meters away, deeper into the mountain of ruins where her master had died. She landed in a crouch atop one of the broken columns sticking out of the rubble. You will find that difficult she called, and answered his anger with a wave of her own. I assure you of that! Malgus gestured with his left hand, and the column she stood on began to shake. She leapt off into another nearby, then another, then another, leapfrogging her way across the ruins back toward Malgus. When she landed atop a large chunk of stone ten meters from the Sith, he made a cutting gesture with his free hand, and two pieces of statuary rose from the rubble and rushed toward her from either side. She leapt into the air, and they smashed into each other beneath her, spraying shards of rock. She landed atop the remains, lightsaber ready. Malgus growled, leapt through the air from his perch toward hers. She slid to the side of his downward slash, and his blade split the stone at her feet. She unleashed a crosscut that would have decapitated him had he not ducked under it. She flipped up and over him onto another piece of rubble, fifteen meters away. Taking a telekinetic hold of a large stone near Malgus, she flung it at him. He never moved, simply held his ground and split the rock in two with his lightsaber. Red sparks and bits of stone rained down. Aaron could not find her calm. She was fighting angry, but did not care. Snarling, thinking of her master, she bounded across the hill of rubble, leaping from one chunk of rock to another, closing the distance with Malgus. He answered her charge with one of his own, the two of them jumping across the gravestones of the Jedi Order until they closed to within striking distance. 
Aaron stabbed low, and Malkus slapped her blade out wide, reversed his motion, and unleashed a backhand swing at her abdomen. She leapt over it, pulling her legs in tight, and loosed a two-handed overhead strike as she came back down. Malkus parried crosswise with his blade, and stepped into a force-augmented sidekick aimed at her ribs. She caught the kick with a free hand, closed her arm over his leg, spun, and flung Malkus twenty meters from her. He flipped in midair and landed atop the cracked face of the Odon Ur statue that had once lined the processional approach into the temple. She took the hilt of Master Zalo's lightsaber in her offhand, crouched, and bounded into a leap toward him. He watched her come, and at the apex of the leap's arc, he thrust his left hand at her, roaring, and veins of force lightning squirmed toward her. Ready for it, she activated Master Zalo's lightsaber, used it to form an X with her own, and intercepted the lightning on the two blades. His power met her will, the lightning twisting around the glowing blades. The force of it stopped her downward descent and held her aloft in the air for a moment, suspended on a column built at the dark side. And then she overcame it. The lightning dissipated to nothingness, and she, unharmed by it, fell straight down, landing on her feet atop a shifting pile of rubble and deactivating Master Zeller's blade. The moment she landed, Malgus was upon her, his blade slashing, stabbing, spinning. He tried to use his superior strength to force her off the stone, off balance. But she answered his strength with speed, sidestepping his blows, leaping over them, parrying, unleashing her own flurries. The hum of their weapons through the air, the sizzle of crossed blades, merged into a single song of speed and power. Zerid flew the speeder full throttle at over a hundred meters in altitude. He watched the Imperial shuttle accelerate into the sky from the vicinity of the Jedi Temple. Thinking of Aaron, he felt his stomach flutter. He flew still higher, hoping to catch a glimpse of her near the temple. And he did. She and Darth Malgus bounded across the ruins of the temple, their blades flashing, locking. The speed of their duel so fast, Zerid could barely follow their movement. Despite himself, he found the combat beautiful. He slowed the speeder, and T7 beat the question. Aaron had done what she had come to Coruscant to do. She was facing Malgus. And Zerid had seen what Malgus had done in the temple. The Sith deserved death. But he worried over Aaron's reasons. The line between seeking justice and seeking revenge was thin indeed. But Zerid could see that Aaron had stepped over it. She wanted Malgus dead because she wanted revenge. And there would be no undoing it once it was done. He knew that better than most. He made up his mind and accelerated the speeder to full. Aaron Malgus locked blades. I am more than your match, Sith, she said over the sparks of their joined lightsabers. Your master was not, Malgus said, grunting, and shoved her with a telekinetic blast of such force that she flew backward and slammed into the rock and rubble. She used the force to cushion the impact, but she still landed on her back, and the impact blew the breath from her lungs. 
Malgus leapt high into the air, shouting with rage, his blade held high for a killing stroke. She rolled aside as he came down, and his blade sank to its hilt in the rubble of the temple. She leapt to her feet and unleashed a backhand crosscut at his throat. He got his blade free and vertical to parry it, but at the same time, she pointed the blade end of Master Zalo's lightsaber at Malgus and activated it. He must have sensed his danger at the last moment, for he slid partially aside. Still, the green line of Master Zalo's blade pierced his armor and side and elicited a snarl of pain and rage. Before Eren could follow up, Malgus drove an open hand into the side of her face. She was unready for the blow. The force augmented impact exploded a spark shower in her brain and sent her cartwheeling away from Malgus. She slammed into a rock and landed on her side ten meters away. Adrenaline pulled her to her feet, though she swayed unsteadily. She spat a mouthful of blood and held both lightsabers at the ready. Malgus stood astride the ruins, his blade sizzling, eyeing the smoking hole in his armor, the furrow in his flesh. Seeing an opportunity, she did not hesitate. Using the force to guide it, she hurled Master Zalo's lightsaber at Malgus. The blade cut a glittering green arc through the air as it spun end over end toward Malgus's head. Despite his wound, the Sith slapped aside Eren's force hold on the blade and snatched it out of the air. As quick as a sand viper, he deactivated the blade, held the hilt in his hand, studied it. He looked up and over at Aaron, his eyes burning. She imagined him smiling under his respirator. This weapon did not avail him, and it will not avail you. The sound of an engine pulled Aaron's head around. She whirled, her blade ready, and saw the Armin speeder roaring out of the sky like a comet. Zerid in the driver's seat. T7 sat in the rear. He came in too hard, and the thrusters could not completely stop the speeder from slamming into the ruins. Metal creaked. Dust flew up. Aaron, Zerid called. Get in! Zerid looked past her to Malgus, seemed to consider unloading a blaster shot, but thought better of it. Come on, Aaron! Zerid shouted, and T7 backed him up with an urgent whistle. Please, you said you would help me. She hesitated. Malgus looked at her, brandished Master Zalo's hilt, a taunt to keep her there. She made her decision. She wanted to efface the smugness she'd heard in his tone, to see in his eyes what she had seen in Master Zalo's. Killing him was not enough. She wanted to see him in pain. She just had to figure out how to do it. She leapt high into the air and landed beside Zerid in the speeder. Death is too easy, Sith, she called to Malgus, the venom in her tone surprising, even to her. I am going to hurt you first. The words left a bad taste in her mouth. She felt Zerid's eyes on her and dared not look him in the face. Malgus, too, seemed almost puzzled to judge from his furrowed brow and the tilt of his head. Go, she said. Zerid accelerated and started to turn the speeder. Anger went forth from Malgus. He reactivated Master Zalo's blade and hurled it after them. Zerid tried to wheel out of the way, but the blade curled and kept coming at them. 
T7 beeped an alarm. Aaron watched the weapon spin, felt it, and before it reached the speeder, she reached out with the force and snatched it from Olgus's mental grasp. The weapon turned upward over the speeder and descended hilt first into her hand as Zirid rose into the night sky and sped away. She deactivated it. She looked back one last time to see Malgus standing atop the ruined temple, his blade in hand, his cape fluttering in the wind. He looked like a victorious conqueror, and she hated him. Zirid flew low and fast through Coruscant streets, wheeling around buildings, careening down alleys, descending into the lower levels as he went. Soon, the sky was lost to the density of structures above them. They were in an industrial underworld, a series of metal and duracrete tunnels that covered the entire planet. Anyone following? He said. Aaron did not answer. She sat in the passenger seat and stared at her master's lightsaber hilt, as if she'd never seen it before. Aaron, is anyone following? No, she said, but did not look back. Zirid shot a glance behind them, above them, and saw no one. He let himself breathe easier. Blast, Aaron. What were you doing? She answered in a tone as mechanical as a protocol droid's. What I came here to do, Zirid. Facing Malgus. What were you doing? Helping you. I didn't need help. No? He stared at her across the speeder's compartment. No. Zirid thought otherwise. Why'd you get in the speeder, Aaron? I didn't want you to get hurt. And I said I would help you get off planet. A lie, Zirid said. Why not just stay there and finish it? She looked away from him as she answered. Because. Because? Because killing him is not enough, she blurted. I want to hurt him. She looked at her master's lightsaber hilt to her belt and looked over at Zirid. I want to hurt him like he hurt me. Like he hurt Master Zalo before he died. Aaron, I don't have to be an empath to feel your ambivalence. Revenge. She raised a hand to cut him off. I don't want to hear it, Zirid. He said it anyway. He owed her as much. This doesn't sound much like you. We haven't seen each other in years. She snapped. What do you know about me? The sharp tone cut him. Not as much as I thought, it seems. For a time, silence sat between them like a wall. I hired on with the exchange for a good reason, I thought. To provide a good life for my daughter. Zirid. Just listen, Aaron. He took a breath to calm himself. And that one decision that seemed so right led me to running weapons and then to running spice. One decision, Aaron. One act. She shook her head. This isn't like that, Zirid. I know what I'm doing. He wasn't so sure, but decided not to press further. He changed the subject. I think I can get us into the spaceport. There are ships there from Valor and Imperial troopers, but I have a plan. Without looking at him, she reached across the seat and touched his hand, 
just for a moment. I'm sorry for the way I spoke, Sirid. I'm not... He shook his head. No apologies, Aaron. I know you're hurting. I just... don't want you to make it worse for yourself. I know how that can happen. Are you... seeing clearly? He felt ridiculous trying to provide an empath of all people with insight into her emotional state. I am, she said, but he heard uncertainty in her tone. In the end, you have to live with yourself. He knew well how difficult that could get. I know, she said. I know. Now what's your plan? He told her. She listened attentively, nodded when he was done. That should work. T7 can do it? Aaron nodded, and T7 beeped agreement. I will help you get in and get a ship, Aaron said. But I'm not leaving Coruscant. I figured you'd say that, he said. But in his own mind, he had not yet conceded the point. He wrestled with whether to tell her about the Twi'lek. You're holding something back, she said. He rubbed the back of his neck, torn. In the end, he decided he owed her honesty, and he knew he could not make decisions for her. The Twi'lek we saw in the vid at the temple. He trailed off. Aaron grabbed his forearm, squeezed. Tell me, Zirid. He swallowed, feeling complicit in a crime. It wasn't so much harm to the Twi'lek that concerned him as it was harm to Aaron. I saw her at the Liston spaceport. She was there. Aaron's fingernails sank into his skin, but she seemed not to notice. He welcomed the pain. She stared off through the windscreen. He fancied he could see her weighing options in the scale of her mind. He held out hope she would choose the right one. I want to see her. Let's go. That was not the answer Sirid had been hoping to hear. Malgus sat among the ruins, the fallen statues of his ancient foes, and pondered. The night breeze blew cool over his face. He replayed his confrontation with Aaron Lanier. Her power had surprised him. So, too, the anger that underlay it. The anger he understood, even respected. But he didn't understand how she'd come by it. She had known that he'd killed Master Zalo when they had fought on the ruins, but she had not known when they had first seen each other on the ship-to-ship hollow over Coruscant, when Valor had shot down the freighter. He was certain of that. He would have felt the knife point of her rage if she had known then. So she must have learned in the interim that he had killed Master Zalo. Either she'd seen it somehow, the surveillance recording pulled from the rubble, maybe, or she'd interrogated a witness, a survivor who had escaped, or maybe a droid who had crawled out of the destruction. Either way, she now knew the details of the attack. It pleased him that she knew. The destruction of the Jedi Temple was the greatest achievement of his life. He wanted the Jedi, wanted Aaron Lanier, to know it was he who had done it. He who had left the corpses of so many Jedi buried in the rubbled tomb of their one-time temple. But something worried at the edge of his mind. 
she had not fled on the speeder out of fear. He would have felt that, too. I am going to hurt you, she'd said. How could she hurt him? And all at once he knew. She knew the details of his attack on the temple, so she knew Elena had accompanied him. She might even have seen in Malgus's behavior what Lord Adras had seen, his feelings for Elena. She would hurt him the same way Adras and Angra would try to manipulate him. The realization sent a rush of emotion through him, a rush it took him a moment to recognize as fear. He activated his comlink and tried to raise his lover on their normal frequency. No response. A flutter formed in his stomach. He raised Jard. Jard, has Elena returned to Valor? She is not, my lord, returned Jard. One of her shuttles has returned, but she was not aboard. A fishhook of fear lodged in Malgus's gut and pulled him to his feet. When is the last time she checked in? She has not checked in, my lord. Is there cause for concern? Should I send a team to retrieve her? No. I will find her myself. There could be any number of reasons for Alina to be out of contact. She could have simply turned off her comm. But Malgus could not shake the unease he felt. He hailed his personal pilot and summoned the shuttle back to the temple. He knew where Alina and her team had set down. The Liston spaceport. He would look for her there first. Oh, now that was an interesting part. This story is seriously epic. Star Wars is truly the best in storytelling, and this story is no exception. I have learned so much about the Old Republic in this story, the things that motivate the characters. In all honesty, I can't wait to see what's in store for us in the next part. But before we can get to the next part, we have to get through this episode. That means the quote of this week. And this week's quote comes to us from Martin Luther King. He said, believe in your dreams and they may come true. Believe in yourself and they will surely come true. You know we all have dreams and aspirations, things that we want to achieve in life. But sometimes it can be easy to doubt ourselves and our abilities to make those dreams a reality. We may think that our dreams are too big, too difficult, or too unrealistic. But the truth is, if we believe in ourselves and our dreams, anything is possible. It's all about trusting ourselves and our abilities and trusting that we have what it takes to achieve our goals. Believing in our dreams is the first step to making them a reality. We need to visualize ourselves achieving our goals, and we need to have the courage to pursue them. We need to believe that we can make our dreams come true, and we need to work hard to make them a reality. But it's not just about believing in our dreams. We also need to believe in ourselves. We need to have the confidence in our abilities and trust that we have what it takes to succeed. When we have faith in ourselves, we are unstoppable. We can overcome any obstacle that comes our way, and we can achieve our goals no matter how big they may seem. I encourage you to believe in your dreams and believe in yourself. Visualize your goals, work hard to make them a reality, and have faith that you can achieve anything that you set your mind to. When you believe in yourself, anything is possible. And I think that's the conclusion of today's episode. Join us next week for part 12 of this epic story. We hope to see you there. Thank you for listening to Star Wars Audio Archive. Join us next time for more Star Wars adventures. If you would like to listen to other episodes of the show, you can follow us on your favorite podcast directory. If you enjoyed the show, we would greatly appreciate a five-star review. Once again, thank you for listening, and may the Force be with you. 
Sway was created by Kenai Shed and is a production of Pick Film Media. This show was produced by Quinn McDaniel and it was distributed by Sway Cast Network. Star Wars The Old Republic The Sea was read to you by Jason Ordega. Sound designed by Theodore Thompson. I am your host Kyle and we will see you next time in a galaxy far, far away. 